Free indeed. Our theme verse is found in John chapter 8. It's on your notes on the screen. Let's jump in. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Jesus says that if you believe what Jesus says, then you're his disciple. You're a Christian. You're his follower. But notice that he says, then. There's more. There's something more. A lot of people think that getting saved, believing in Christ, trusting in Christ is the end of the line. That's not the end of the line. That's the beginning of the line. In fact, before you trust Christ, there is no line. You're just spiritually dead in your sin. So it's the start of a process that takes place. Jesus says, if you believe, then uh, you're one of my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's a process of replacing the lies that you've believed with the truth of Christ. Exchanging those lies for the truth sets you free, free indeed. And we talked about that process last week. I'd encourage you, if you weren't here, to get a CD, listen at our website, rockbrook.org. Uh, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Here's the lesson from this verse. You cannot be free indeed if you don't think you can indeed be in bondage. If you don't recognize that you can be a Christian and still have areas of your life where you are in bondage, areas of your life where you still believe Satan's lies and thereby limit God's work in your life. If you don't recognize that, you're in denial and you're not going to be set free. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. Jesus says, listen guys, I'm really telling you. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Every time you keep doing that sin, and it may be a sin you don't want to do, it may be a sin you do because you enjoy it. Maybe you've grown complacent with it, you've just kind of given up. You know it's wrong, you know you shouldn't be doing it, but every time you do it, that sin is functioning as your master. And it is telling you as its slave how you are to live. And every one of you needs to know, what is that one thing? What is that area? What's the next area where you need to break free from? And this series, this teaching will be much more powerful for you if you're addressing a particular area. It says, now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's the journey that God calls us all to go on. And we talked in the first week that this journey begins when you realize that you are part flesh and part spirit. Uh, when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you're a disciple, but there is still a part of you left over from your pre-Jesus days, your flesh. Now, if you've never trusted Christ, that's all you've got is your flesh. But when you become a believer in Christ, you have your flesh, but now you also have a spiritual part of you that has come alive through the rebirth of your faith in Christ. And so we wind up being spiritual Christians with flesh. Uh, you know, I use the phrase Christian con carne, and uh, I like that. I think it's funny. We'll have t-shirts later. But we talked about the best way to overcome the flesh and be free indeed is to use the spiritual disciplines of fasting and prayer. You know, you've got to, recog you've got to recognize the battle, and then you've got to engage the battle. And prayer connects us with God, and fasting disconnects us from the world. 
And so those two together will nourish your spirit, don't neglect your flesh, your spirit begins to win the battles, and ultimately you begin to live in victory. And so the first week I gave you six steps, I gave you six verses to help you in the disciplines of prayer and fasting. And last week we talked about how you win this battle in your mind. Uh, You win the battle by replacing the lies of the devil with the truth of Christ. And that's important because when we believe the devil's lies, when we settle for continuing to struggle in our areas of sin, we actually set a place for the devil in our lives. And this is serious, serious stuff. That there is a spiritual battle in your life that affects the glory of God. Remember, earlier in the year we talked about how the glory of God, the glory of God is manifested in relationship, in his relationship with us. That's how God reveals his glory. That's why your sin is so damaging. Even the little sins that you just can't seem to shake because they create distance between you and God. Sin diminishes God's glory by disrupting your relationship with him. Now this week I'm going to focus on a concept, I barely touched on it last week, you'll recognize the verse from last week, it's in Ephesians 4, and it says, in your anger do not sin. And I want you to notice here that you have a choice, in your anger do not sin. Now your area of struggle may not be anger, so just take anger out and stick in your one thing. Whatever your one thing is, you have a choice in the matter how far it goes. Do not let the sun go down while you are still struggling with your one thing. In other words, don't tolerate your one thing. Deal with it. Resolve it. Because if you don't deal with it, you'll do what Ephesians says not to do. Do not give the devil a foothold. When you continue to do your one thing, you give the devil a foothold. And the Greek word there is the word for place. You give the devil a place in your life. That's why you can't get victory in that area. Because you're opening the door, you're cracking the window, you're making a place for the devil to have influence in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians 2.10. Here Paul's talking about the issue of forgiveness. He says, if you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. And your one thing may be unforgiveness or bitterness. But look at at the principle that's even bigger than that after this. It says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. And the problem is, many of us are unaware of his schemes. You know, that's why the devil has outwitted us. That's why you keep struggling with your one thing. Because you've left the door open, you've set a place for him in that thing. Love the message paraphrase. It says, after all, we don't want to unwittingly give Satan an opening for yet more mischief. We're not oblivious to his sly ways. So what are these openings? What are, what are these doors that the devil uses to gain entrance into our lives? Well, one thing about the devil, he is not creative. Devil, devil's never created anything. Devil's just destructive. He is not creative, but he is consistent. And he uses the same traps over and over and over again. I mean, in your Bible, from Genesis to maps, he uses the same strategy over and over. Why? Because it works. Because it works. But if we know what his strategy is, then we can be forewarned and forearmed to defeat it. 
But you can't continue to be unaware, oblivious to the devil and let him outwit you on this stuff. So today I want us to look at the three big doors that the devil consistently uses to find a place in our life. We're going to be looking at 1 John 2. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Notice this is an either-or proposition. It is a choice. You've got to decide, do you love your one thing or do you love God? You've got to pick. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. And pass away is not just a physical death. It's the death of your relationships. It's the death of your ministry opportunities. It's the death of your eternal rewards. It's the death of God's glory. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Do you see that? This is a matter of life and death. This is no small thing. This is serious, serious stuff. Even that little sin you think is little that you're struggling with. This is crucial. And John gives the three big doors that, uh, that the devil uses. First one is the lust of the flesh. And, and I'm identifying that as our passions. Passions, they're, they're your appetites, they're your desires, the, the thing that, that you want to make your body happy. Uh, it, it, you're driven by your feelings. And I just want to tell you, you cannot trust your feelings. Your feelings will lie to you every time. If you follow your feelings, you will fulfill the lust of the flesh. Not the spirit, the flesh. But our passions must come under the authority of the Word of God. We're not to pursue our passions. We are to pursue God's plan, God's purpose for our life. We are to submit our passions to His purpose. Because our feelings just feed the flesh instead of the Spirit. Now, in our culture today, more than any time in my life... People are pushing the idea that i got to fulfill my feelings. i got to fulfill my passions, my lust, even when it comes contrary to God's word. Because people want to live according to the way they feel. They want to satisfy themselves. The problem is that the Satan and his demons know how to make bad things feel good. That's the, that's the trap of the lust of the flesh. The devil knows how to make bad things feel good at the start. But if you live by your feelings, you'll wind up feeling miserable. You'll wind up a slave to your sin, slave to your feelings. And suddenly your good feelings become a cruel taskmaster. And so you've got to realize that, that there is an open door to set a place for the devil in your life in the area of your feelings. When the enemy wants to rip your marriage apart because of your feelings, because of your flesh through pornography or romance novels or flirtatious behavior or dressing immodestly to get attention, you open the door to passions and, and to pursue your feelings, you set a place for the devil to influence your life. It is a trap. And those who have been hooked by that trap know that very well. And yet so many of us just go back to that one thing over and over again and we let the devil outwit us. Second trap is the lust of the eyes. That's possessions. It looks good, so I want it. It looks good, so I want to own it. And this often shows up in our lives as the trap of debt. Now, debt can be a tool, but debt also, in fact, most often, is just the fruit of impatience. 
I don't want to wait while I save up for it. I want it now. I want to satisfy the lust of the eyes. And that that lust flows out of the lie that possessions are going to make you happy. Extremely prevalent in prosperous societies like ours. We look prosperous, but really our prosperity is based on debt. Our prosperity is based on deception and a lie. And we have opened the door. We've made a place for the devil because of our impatience, really because of our greed. We buy into the lie that possessions are going to satisfy us. But truthfully, the only thing that satisfies is God. And so our impatience, our greed, our debt puts a wedge between us and God. Now we're even less satisfied. So we go out and we go deeper into debt to buy more stuff. And it just fuels our impatience, our greed, and our debt. Soon we are possessed by our possessions. We don't own them. They own us. We're owned by what we owe. And we've opened a door and we've set a place for the devil in our lives. Third, third door is the pride of life. That's our position. Pride uh, about our life. And, and pride is one of the things that not only does God not like it, God just flat out says he's going to oppose it. God opposes the proud. And you don't want God to oppose you. You want God to be for you. And so the struggle with these three things, it's found all throughout Scripture. In fact, it's found back in Genesis, Genesis 3, with the fall and Adam and Eve. It's one of the first things, the, these three doors. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining knowledge. Three things right there. She took some and ate it. It says she saw that it was good for food. That's passion. I want to eat that. It'll make my belly feel good. Okay? That's passion. Pleasing to the eye, that's possession. Man, it looks so pretty. I want that. I want to, God says I can't have it, but I want to possess it. And then desirable for gaining wisdom. That's position. Satan sold her on the lie that if you eat that apple, you'll be as awesome as God is. And so he tempted Eve through these three doors. Same three doors he used to tempt Christ. Remember, Jesus went out in the wilderness, fasted, and prayed for 40 days. At the end of that time, it says, The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. Satan knows he's hungry, and so Satan says, Use your power in an improper way to feed your body. Eat eat some of this, even though it's bait on the trap. He said, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. This is the trap of position, of pride. He's tempting Jesus to do an act of pride. The pinnacle of the temple, big crowds all around. Jesus, throw yourself off. Nothing's going to happen to you. It's a stunt. And you'll gain all kinds of notoriety and fame if you do this. It's an act of pride. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And he's trying to find some greed in Jesus. He says, all this I will give you. That's possessions. You know, it's it's fascinating here. Satan's offering something that he can't give. You know? Why? Because he's a liar and a cheat and a thief. And he does the same thing to you. He promises stuff to you that he cannot deliver in an attempt to tempt you to get you to do stuff you shouldn't do. And I'm just telling you, Satan comes through one of these three doors 
every time, every time. So today, I'm going to just show you how to shut the door. Shut the door, keep out the devil. Yeah. What's the antidote? What's the antidote to the lust of the flesh, to our passions? Well, the antidote, and this may surprise you, the antidote to passion is integrity. Integ- a person of integrity is not somebody who's perfect. A person of integrity is just a person who's decided, I'm not going to live with secrets in my life anymore. I'm not going to live two different kinds of lives. I'm not going to go to church and be one person and go home and be another kind of person and go to work and be another kind of person and go to the stadium or a club and be a different kind of person. Integrity doesn't mean you're perfect. Integrity just means you're honest wherever you are. You don't pretend to be somebody that you're not. You shake off your denial. You admit. You confess the areas of your life that you need to change and need to be set free from. You will never be free if you compartmentalize your life. If you act one way here, one way here, and one way there, you're a prisoner of your sin when you do that. You you are bound by your deception. You're captive to your denial. And it's time for you to just throw off that mask, open it up, expose the lies of the devil in your life, and replace them with the truth of Christ. Proverbs 5. Uh, Guys, if you struggle in the area of lust and passion, I'd encourage you. I think every guy ought to read chapters 5, 6, and 7 out of Proverbs every month. Because they just nail it. It says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. And the her that he's talking about there is lust. It's temptation. You You could say it's your one thing whatever that is. Do not go near the door of her house. Don't go near the door. Lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of others. That's what's going to happen if you pursue your passions, if you live life according to your feelings. Now, Romans 6 gives us a way out. It says that that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Break the pattern. Get out of it. Fast from it. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. You're not living as a slave to your master's sin. You're free indeed. So what do you need to do? What do you need to do in this area? You need to say yes to God and no to the devil. It's just that simple. You need to say no to the devil because he is lying to you right now, right here. He is lying to you. He's trying to get you to feed your passions and your lust because he knows it'll damage your relationship with God and it will diminish God's glory. Satan doesn't care about your pleasure. He hates you. He hates you and he hates God even more. And he'll use that as an open door to get in and to destroy your relationship with God. Not even because of what it does to you, but because it diminishes God's glory. That's why he is lies so intently, so consistently about it. That's why your flesh is all over this, because it's opposed to God. That's why the world is pressing in and lying and tempting and deceiving you, because it damages your relationship with God and it diminishes God's glory. Number two. The antidote to our possessions is generosity. It's generosity. Every time you give, you break the hold of possessions on your life. 
Because the flesh, the world, the devil, they're all about get, 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 get. God's all about give, give, give. God so loved the world that he gave. You're most like God when you give, when you're generous. And God is not just looking at how much you give, but where you give it and when you give it. You know, Deuteronomy tells us the purpose of tithing is to teach us to put God first in our lives. You put him first. And for God, the fact that we give to him first is as important as the amount that we give. Look in Genesis 4. Again, first things, Genesis 4. Adam and Eve's kids, Cain and Abel. It says, now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. Abel's a shepherd, Cain is a farmer, both honorable occupations. In the course of time. And that's a key phrase in this story. It means when Cain felt like it. It wasn't a priority for him. He didn't have a plan to do it. Just whenever, as time went on, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. It says he brought some. doesn't say how much. He just gave some when he felt like it. Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So, so Cain gave some when he felt like it. Abel gained from the firstborn. The firstborn. As soon as Abel got it, he gave it. Lord, look, here it is. The first one's for you. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. His feelings were hurt. Hurt feelings are the flesh trying to protect itself. You know, when you got hurt feelings, that's not coming from the spirit side of you. That's coming from the flesh side of you. It's the flesh trying to protect itself. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Sin is looking for a way in your life. It's crouching. It's hiding. It's sneaky. It's stealthy. It's waiting for you to crack the door open so it can move in because it wants to control your life. It desires to have you. Sin wants to control and consume your life. But you must rule over it. See the intensity of the language here? It's a spiritual battle for your life. You've got to shut the door. You've got to shut the door on this through generosity. And I can just tell you from personal experience, I can tell you from testimony after testimony of people here at Rockbrook, one of the best and most effective ways to shut the door on sin, and I don't even care what area of your life the sin is in, one of the most effective ways to shut that, the door on that sin is to be faithful in tithing. Tithing. And I don't tell you that because we need your money. God's blessed this church. We're doing fine. I tell you this. I don't have any other motive to tell you this other than it's a key step to you breaking free from your sin. It'll change the quality of your life. Because I encounter people all the time and their lives are chaotic and their marriages are falling apart and their kids are rebellious and, and they're just dissatisfying and life is chaos. Life is just, it's horrible for them. And you probe into it and you find out invariably they're not tithing. They're not tithing. And so they're not living their life under the umbrella of God's protection. Instead, they're living life open and vulnerable to the devil. And the devil is a liar, a cheat, and a devourer. Now, who do you want in control of your life? A generous God or a lying, cheating 
devil. Well, you make that decision based on the tithe. I mean, no wonder Cain's life is such a mess. He, he, no wonder he felt bad about himself. He'd opened the door to sin in his life because he wasn't giving properly. The tithe is a test. Malachi chapter 3, God blatantly tells us it's a test. He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me in this. Now, in the Hebrew and in other versions, it says, test me in this. It's a strong term. Test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And this blessing in every area of your life is not just financial blessing. And God not only promises blessing, look at this, look at this. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. If you tithe, I'll shut the devil down in your life. I'll keep him from devouring your life. He will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts, that's a battle term. That's a battle name for God. This is a spiritual battle. And, and in your life, it's a battle between your flesh and your spirit. And tithing has consequences far beyond your finances and your money. And I can just tell you, the principle of tithing works I've seen it work in my personal life. I've seen it work for us as a church. I mean, as a church, from the first offering we took at Rockbrook to the last one we just took, every offering, we give the first 10% of it, we give it away. We give it away to missionaries. We give it away to, to local ministries. We give it away to church planters. We give it away in benevolence. The first fruits right off the top, the top portion, we just give it away. And God has blessed this church because we passed the test of tithing. You know, when we do stuff like this video project for the Nehemiah thing, that's not tithing. That's just over and above. That, that, that's just out of, out of the abundance. It's just cheerful, uh, hilarious giving when we do stuff like that. Because we just pull the first 10% off and, and it's, it's given away. And then we start to do great things with the rest. So how do you shut the door on this lust of the eyes, this debt issue, this possession being possessed by your possessions. You give God the first of everything. That's how you do it. Now, what's the antidote to pride? Well, it's obviously humility. You know, a man on his face cannot fall from that position. That's why it's important to start low. You start with humility. You start every day. You start every decision. Honoring God. Because God opposes the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. And one of the most humbling experiences you can have is to pray and fast about your one thing. Because you are confessing your sin. You're admitting to God what you're doing. You're taking off the mask. You're, at, you're admitting your dependence on God. You're asking God to intervene in your life in the area of your one thing. And look at God's character when it comes to this, this battle of doors and shutting the doors. In Revelation it says, what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. God's saying, you want a way out of your one thing? He says, I can shut the devil's doors and I can open a way. I can make a way of escape for you to get out of that. He says, I know that you have little strength. That means you've humbled yourself. You've made yourself vulnerable to God, taken off the mask, put off your denial, admitted your need. God, here's my one thing, help. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word 
and have not denied my name. You're choosing to obey God, and you're not ashamed of him. And when you shut these three doors, when you shut the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, when when you shut your passions, your possessions, your pride, you let the glory of God's relationship with you shine out of your life. And it's amazing what happens. John the Baptist says it this way. He says, Jesus must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. For Jesus to become greater and greater and for me to become less and less, I've got to develop a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. A lifestyle where I connect with God through prayer and I disconnect from the world through fasting. And when I do that, I mean, it's amazing what happens. Now listen, the spiritual battle over your one thing, it's not complex. It's not complicated. Quite frankly, your struggle is no different than anybody else's. We all want to think, oh, I'm unique. I got all these. I'm the exception to the rule. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're no different than Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. Listen, one generation is just as stupid as the one that went before it. We're just all outwitted by the devil. It's just the same struggle. And so it's not complex or complicated. The devil is not creative, he's just consistent. And the path to freedom, it is simple. I'm not saying it is easy. Because in order to get there, you have to fight a spiritual battle between your flesh and your spirit in order to get there. And when you make the choice to engage in the battle, you discover that Christ has already won it for you. That's the amazing thing. You discover Christ has already won it for you. But when you choose to surrender to your one thing, When you give up, when you refuse to engage in the battle, then you set a place for the devil and he moves in and has his way with you. Sin desires to have you. Christ desires to set you free. Choice is yours. Let's pray together. As you pray, would you just pray? Just say, God, speak to me. God, speak to me about my one thing. And God, I just, God, may your Holy Spirit just speak to people. I've, I've said enough. I've stepped on their toes enough. I, I just ask you to move into their hearts and lives and minds and remind them of the truth of Christ so we can break free from the lies of the devil. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.